Well, I am certainly glad to be here and want to thank uh, your pastor and the other leaders who are involved in the decision to bring me here. I've enjoyed being with you very much and um, can't think of any place I'd rather be here this morning. How about you? And this is wonderful to be with the children of God and, you know, who knew that there were Christians here, you know, in, in Ohio of all places, you know. I come from God's country, Texas. And uh, one of the things that uh, we're absolutely convinced is God's country. I mean, it even we uh, even know which uh, football team the, the Lord likes. You know, Cowboys Stadium has a big hole in the top so God can watch his five favorite team. Um, <laughs> uh, but it is a great pleasure. I feel very much at home among you. You've been very kind to me since I've been here, and I've, I've enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, we've been talking this weekend about healing ministry and uh, continue that subject. I know some of you were not with us. Uh, I'll give you just a very quick overview of my own testimony. I've been a Christian since the early 70s. I was saved in a coffee house ministry in West Germany. Youth with a Mission led me to Jesus. The first week that I was saved, uh, I was baptized in the Spirit. And so from the beginning of my Christian walk, I did experience the gifts of the Spirit and we did have a good amount of uh, supernatural activity in this coffeehouse ministry. In fact, uh, when I got back to the United States and was in ordinary churches, Charis uh, charismatic and Pentecostal, we had a lot less supernatural activity than we did in this coffeehouse ministry where it was just a lot of young people. And uh, we experienced uh, particularly the uh, vocal gifts of the Spirit, the, uh, the prophecy, the word of knowledge, uh, the word of wisdom, uh, tongues and interpretation, all these kinds of things were pretty frequent in our experience. We had a great deal of deliverance ministry happening in the day, so many of us were coming out of the drug scene and so needed deliverance from the power of the enemy. And so we had seen the supernatural and very much accustomed to seeing that in those early years. However, I have to say to you that healing was seemed unreliable, mysterious, and unpredictable. It just didn't happen very much. And uh, we would pray on some occasions and see something happen, but most of the time we would pray and it seemed uh, that nothing seemed to be transpiring. It just wasn't happening at the level that we expected it to and what we saw in the scriptures. But um, I experienced that, pretty much that same phenomena for 20 years as I entered into the ministry myself, went to seminary and did all the things, became an army chaplain eventually, and and serve the Lord in that circumstance and occasionally did see healing happening but for 20 years I experienced one or two healings each year but in 1992 at the end of the year the Lord said something to me as I was praying about leaving the US Army chaplaincy and entering into a new form of ministry not clear entirely what God was going to say to me to do he said to me why don't you receive me as your healer in the same way that you receive me as your savior well the question caught me by surprise and because it didn't seem related to what I was praying about. Of course, here 15 years later, <laughs> it was very much related to what I was praying about. I've been doing 15 years of healing ministry. So God did know what he was saying to me. I just didn't have clarity about why he was saying to me. Well, that experience, which I shared on Friday night, uh, led to my own healing. Uh, it led to me reevaluating what I believed about healing, coming to new conclusions, changing my theology over a period of time. It led to me spending two years meditating on the New Testament on the subject of healing. Uh, I actually started in the Old Testament, but I found myself very quickly in the New Testament because there's not that much healing in the Old Testament. In fact, I would say to you that 4,000 years of Old Testament history doesn't seem to equal one week in the ministry of Christ. Uh, there's just an incredible amount of healing in the New Covenant, uh, new, in the new, uh, Jesus' expression of the New Covenant. 
So I uh, found myself meditating on those passages of Scripture, and I found my own inward chemistry being changed so that when someone stood in front of me, I no longer doubted that God wished them to be well. In fact, I, I was convinced that they were supposed to be well. So my behavior changed. Before this happened, I would probably have laid hands on you and expected at some level to uh, see something happen, but I wouldn't be entirely sure that it was going to be happening. And if it didn't happen pretty quickly, I gave up. My faith did not extend beyond just a few minutes there. Uh, and, and truthfully, I think that that was true of the people who were trying to receive healing as well, that their faith didn't extend much beyond that. They both gave up pretty quickly. But now when I begin to believe that Jesus wanted people well, I didn't quit so quickly. In fact, I continued to pray. If it didn't happen the first time, I prayed a second and a third time, and we begin to see healing at a much greater level. In fact, uh, that in the beginning, we were seeing 15 or 20 people healed a month, which was amazing. Uh, I mean, I began to see people out of wheelchairs and people healed of cancer, people healed of chronic pain. And that 15 or 20 people a month, of course, at that, at that stage of our, at my ministry uh, was so exciting because it was more than 100 times as much healing as I was seeing before. And it intrigued me even further that uh, there were things that I didn't understand and uh, so I began to, again, pursue the Lord on this particular subject, and uh, the rest is history. We've seen an continual cont uh, increase in the percentages of the people that get healed and also the numbers. And we estimate conservatively, and I believe that hyping things are, is lying, and so I, I'm, I don't believe that uh, I'm in any way overestimating here, but between 20,000 and 25,000 people healed in the last 15 years. And uh, we've seen... And Jesus has done it all. I mean, I have done nothing. Uh, and uh, we, I think we've gotten better over the years, you know, of learning to do this and helping people receive healing and uh, understanding what we're dealing with when we're talking to people. Uh, we've got, I personally have gotten better equipped. And about, uh, oh, about six or seven years ago, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago now, uh, time boy slips by as you get older, um, I began to be aware that the Lord was speaking to me about really spending more time equipping others to do this, to, to work in that realm, and that we would still have the same amount of healing happening, but then it would be happening through meaning people and not just me and just a few others around me. So uh, that's what we've been concentrating in. So this is the question I want to ask you this morning. How do we learn to do healing ministry? Well, I am absolutely convinced the way that we learned to do it and the way that I learned to do it was by seeing Jesus. The 12 disciples, the 70 more later, how did they learn to do it? They weren't sitting around studying the Old Testament. Uh, that's really what the Pharisees were doing. They weren't debating the finer points of the law of Moses. No, that's what the Pharisees were doing. The Sadducees were debating theology and, with the Pharisees. and not, it is, It's uh, pretty evident that not any of them really had anything supernatural happening. Instead, they saw Jesus as he functioned, as he showed them what the Father's will was as he per perfectly, completely submitted to the Father's will. He demonstrated to them what it was that the new covenant looked like. He showed them the, the dynamic of the power of the Holy Spirit working through an individual yielded to the Holy Spirit. And they, he became the perfect model to them. He became the living word to his disciples. The word made flesh to them. And if you would have asked those guys in those days about doctrines, they would have pointed you right back to Jesus. They didn't have a set of intellectual doctrines. They answered the questions in Christ. They, if you had said to Peter, maybe God doesn't want to heal that man because he's been too wicked. He causes his own problems. Peter would have scratched his head and said, where would you get that idea? Jesus healed many such men. He would have pointed you back to Christ because Christ was their doctrine. 
He was their teaching. He was their revelation of what God wished to do. And so these men, these ordinary men, turn to somebody and say, ordinary. Rascals. These ordinary men were able to duplicate and multiply the ministry of Christ in the church. And this was the pattern of Jesus' ministry. He took these 12 ordinary men and 70 more later and multiplied his own ministry in them. See, the church has lost sight of that. We had this period of time, it was called the medieval period, dark ages, where the church uh, degenerated into really uh, you know, one man in front of the congregation and, and the congregation not really participating much, just sitting listening. And unfortunately, that pattern of ministry is very much with us today. But that is not what the early church looked like. In fact, the early church was many people functioning. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. 26, rather. And so it describes a participation of all the giftings that are happening in the body of Christ. Everyone participating. And when that happens, the entire body of Christ rises up and grows. And see, God did not intend for you just to sit in a pew. In fact, if that's all your Christian experience is, you haven't yet really become a Christian. You haven't learned that God has much more for you, a destiny to fulfill, a purpose, giftings to. Everybody is gifted. Everybody has a purpose in the body of Christ. And the body of Christ needs everyone functioning. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you've got to function. <laughs> These 12 ordinary men learned from seeing Jesus reveal the Father in a perfect way. Everyone say, Christ reveals the Father. This is so important for us to understand this because the body of Christ today is very fuzzy about what God wishes to do. But these 12 men weren't fuzzy. They had seen Jesus heal everyone in the multitude. They knew that the will of God was for everyone to receive healing. They saw that Jesus healed wicked people. They saw that Jesus healed people that never went to temple. You know, the temple in that day had, uh, it was known to be highly corrupt. Uh, in fact, Jesus went in and cleansed the money changers out of it. The average person knew that when they went to temple and they offered sacrifice, that that sacrifice was being sold. Uh, they had to buy it from the temple. They had to use the temple coinage. Each time they got ripped off in the process of being in that. And they knew they saw that they had this, this, this sacrifice that they had bought that, the, that it never really got sacrificed. It just sold over and over and over and over again. And so many, many people in that day, in Jesus' day, had quit going to temple, knew that the temple system had become very corrupt, and, and had become, basically, they just had become secular people like we see in our culture today. They, had a, they, had a, they did believe in God, but they just weren't practicing anything like that. So the whole culture was very similar that we see today. And Jesus entered into this culture, and he called ordinary folks, not religious folks, he called ordinary folks to himself and transformed them. See, these guys, when they first started functioning, they didn't get it. Remember the story of Jesus? He's feeding, he, he goes into the wilderness, and he, uh, uh, he uh, is there for three days, and the people follow him into the wilderness, and, and so he ends up doing this, this uh, miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 in that circumstance because there's no food there. He turns to his disciples, and he says to them, They've been with me now three days. Feed them. Now, the disciples should have figured out what Jesus was going to do here because he'd already done the feeding of the 5,000, but they were a little dense. 
turn to somebody and say, there's hope for you. <laughs> they were a little dense, just like the rest of us, you know. And so, in any case, uh, uh, he does the feeding of the, uh, the 4,000 in that circumstance, which is probably more like six or 7,000 people because it just says the men, not counting the women and children that were there. And so here he does this feeding of the 5,000, 4,000 rather. And, uh, and so uh, this, it's a very interesting passage because then it tells you immediately the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say to him, show us a sign. Where were these guys? He just did this amazing miracle and they're asking him to show them a sign. You know, uh, he has been doing healing ministry for three days with these people and they're asking for a sign. Well, Jesus, the passage goes on to tell us that Jesus and the disciples get in a boat across, I guess, the Sea of Galilee. I'm not sure what they were doing exactly. But anyway, they get in the boat, and Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they, the disciples look around because they think Jesus is talking about lunch. They look around for bread. Did we forget lunch? Now, you've got to remind yourself that these guys just didn't get it. It makes me feel better. And Jesus says, I'm not talking to you about leaven. You know, I'm not talking to you about bread, guys. I'm talking to you about the teaching of the Pharisees. He's warning them that if they buy into this teaching of legalism, that the power of God will disappear from their situation. That they, what he's teaching them is very different than what the common Jewish teaching of that day was. That they needed to avoid that particular thing. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I am comforted by the fact that these guys were truly learners. They were disciples. And see, I believe that that's what's happening to you and I as we focus our attention on Christ, walk with him, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, teaches us just like that. And I have been dense in many cases. One time, I started having trouble, as a, I, this is back probably 10 years ago, I started having trouble with my feet when I was... When I was preaching, and my feet would just really, really hurt, and here I'm doing healing ministry and praying for other people's pain, and I'm in pain. And uh, so I said, I began to go to the Lord, Lord, Jesus, you're my healer. I don't know what's going on with my feet, but they just are, you know, I'm distracted by the pain in my feet. And I, as I prayed, the Lord said, socks. I said, socks? What do you mean, socks? So I didn't get it, so I continued to pray, Lord. My feet are killing me, Jesus. You need to heal me. You know, and I, I spiritualized it. And I said, you know, uh, the feet are the, a symbol of traveling ministry. You know, the feet of the ones that are, you know, bring good tidings to uh, glad things, you know. And so I, I continued to spiritualize it, you know. And finally, I, I, as I prayed, the Lord said, socks. And I realized that I had bought new socks. And the tops of the socks were too tight. And I... It's cutting off my circulation. And see, I was really spiritual, but God was being really practical. <laughs> I can tell you about a half a dozen stories about this, of how this has worked in my life, is that I have a tendency to over-spiritualize things, and you know what? I'm not alone in that. And the Holy Spirit has to somehow bring, bring us, get our feet back on the ground so we're living in a practical way, our head in the clouds, focused on what Christ has done, our feet on the ground, that means we get to be stretched a little bit. Turn to somebody and say, you need to be stretched. <laughs> Christ was the living word to his disciples. He was the word made flesh. Every attitude he expressed showed them what the Father's will was. You know, when he responded in mercy and kindness to people that they knew were sinful. 
it instructed them that that was the right attitude that they themselves were supposed to have. Christ said he did nothing on his own initiative. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He said he did not seek his own will, but the will of the Father. He said to the disciples that when they saw him, they saw the Father. You know, the book of Ephesians uh, has a little bit obscured by translation, but it says the former mystery. In other words, it's not a mystery anymore. It was a former mystery. The former mystery of God's will has now been openly exhibited and displayed in Jesus Christ. You want to look, you want to know what God's will is, you can see it in Jesus. God's will is being displayed there perfectly as Jesus does the will of the Father. And so this is how the disciples really learned to do healing ministry. I believe it's the way that you and I have to learn to do it. Because if you don't learn it this way, then you're going to have a lot of funny ideas about things. In fact, the church is full of these funny ideas. See, Peter didn't pull the will of God for a healing out of the air as a revelation. He had the revelation of Christ in front of him. He knew what God wished to do because he had seen Jesus heal multitudes of people. And this is... You know, when you begin to see it that way, then you begin to have the same kind of attitudes and the same sort of faith that these men had. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, the wis- that Christ is the wisdom and power of God. If you want to know what wisdom looks like, you look at Jesus. It shows you what wisdom looks like. Jesus uh, has become to us, according to 1 Corinthians, he's become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The writer of Hebrews writes that Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory. See, there's a lot of people, group of people in the culture today, renewal folks mostly, that are seeking the glory of God. But they're looking past Jesus in many cases. They're looking for an experience instead of looking for Christ. And see, the Bible tells us that the glory of God has been revealed in the face of Christ. And that Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of the Father's nature. The Bible is pointing us to looking towards Christ, seeking Christ, knowing Him, whereas some people are looking for something else. Shake your head up and down. A friend of mine is an evangelist. He says that Jesus is the best kept secret of the American church. That's a shame that we keep Jesus secret. There are many places you can go and sit through two hours of message and worship and you hear very little about Jesus. And these churches often wonder why they got trouble. Often wonder why their folks are sick, depressed, discouraged. The reason is that the grace of God is not flowing in those circumstances because the grace of God flows through Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. First chapter of John. Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of the Father's nature. And saying all that, what we ought to do, just for a few moments, let's just take a few moments and look over the shoulder of Jesus and his disciples and see what they saw. So if you'll turn in your Bibles just for a moment here to Matthew chapter 8, let's spend a little time seeing what the disciples saw in the ministry of Christ, learning in the same way that they learned. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1. We're going to look at a few healing events, one right after another in this passage. It's dense with healing events, and so that's one of the reasons I've chosen it. And when he, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, and when he, that's Christ, had come down from the mountains, great multitudes followed him. Behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. 
And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, present the offering that Moses commanded for a testimony of them. First of all, we have to say that this is the only place in the New Testament where the subject of whether it's God's will um, to heal someone comes up. It's not found anywhere else. And why don't you notice something about this, what is absent from this passage? Jesus did not have to pray to determine the will of the Father. He already knew. It's a very important attribute of those who have the supernatural functioning in the area of healing. Very important that they already know it's God's will. They already know. They don't have to pray to determine this. The disciples never, we never see the disciples pray. We never see Jesus praying to determine the will of the Father. He already knows what God's will is and immediately responds favorably. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, why would this man ask this particular question? Well, of course, this, the culture of the day there was Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant being introduced into this culture. Old Covenant, of course, leprosy in the Old Covenant could have been a curse. In other words, we see in the Old Covenant that sometimes people were being punished with leprosy. Okay, so this man's maybe saying something that maybe some of us have said and people in the culture around us will say, Maybe, Jesus, I'm getting what I deserved. Is it God's will to help me? Maybe I'm getting what I deserve. Lots of people feel that way. There's a huge number of people uh, infected in our culture with uh, sexually transmitted diseases. I think, uh, not, I think five years ago it was one out of seven. I think they're saying now it's one out of five. This is an epidemic of sexually transmitted diseases and uh, uh, most of them are not, they're not fatal. The ones that are being spread around, they're not fatal. But there's a lot of people who have shame issues in this area. Okay, so they feel like they're getting what they deserve, and they'll have a hard time revealing it publicly, going, you know, and reading, getting prayer and that sort of thing. Can we just suggest to you that Jesus would say yes to you if you ask him? He would say yes to you. He would say yes in the same way he's saying it to this man. See, this man says, maybe I'm under curse. Maybe this is God's judgment in my life, but, uh, and, and uh, maybe I'm getting what I deserve. Well, often through the scriptures, we see Jesus responding favorably. People often said to him, son of David, have mercy on me. What were they implying when they said mercy? They're implying that they didn't deserve help. But I want you just to see clearly that 100% of the time when people ask mercy from Jesus, he gave it to them. Is this good news? So maybe you don't deserve it. Turn to somebody and say, get over it. (laughs) Get over it. You're not going to deserve it. No, you never deserve it. It comes as a gift. God gives healing as a gift. It is a gift of mercy and grace. It comes because he's good, not because we are. It comes, and that it becomes a transforming experience for us because, you know, every time God touches you and helps you, it makes you a better person. It, tra- it helps you. When you receive grace, it makes you a better person. That's one of the ways that God transforms us by showing us grace. He doesn't do it because we're good, but it, believe me, receiving grace does make you good. It does. It changes you. It makes you more and more and more like Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Let's move on a little bit. Jesus set no conditions for healing for the man. 
He just ministered healing to them. He didn't say, you've got to go do this, and you've got to fulfill this, and you've got to do this. He already knew the will of the Father. He didn't hesitate, didn't pray. He didn't consider what uh, God might be doing in this circumstance. Instead, he ministered healing to him. He expressed some pastoral concern for him. He said, go to the priest and prove that you received your healing. And see, that was the way that this man could come back into the culture. And so he was telling him to do the things that are necessary in order for him to have a full life, you know, not to neglect that particular aspect. By the way, those people acted as doctors in that day, so he was telling them to go to the doctor, determine that he was well. We've seen people sometimes appear to receive some healing, but they're afraid to go to the doctor. Believe me that if you are acting in faith, then you should go to the doctor. If you believe you receive healing, then go get it verified. See, but if you don't really believe, maybe that's why you're not going. You ready to get this? See, don't be afraid to find out what the truth is. Because then if you receive some healing, maybe not in, you haven't got it all, then you can come back for prayer. At least you know where you're at. You know that you've received or you haven't received or something. You're not in that limbo state trying to figure out what you should do now. You have clarity. The truth sets you free. Let's know what the truth is. Yes? By the way, I wanna, I've run into this thought a couple times since I've been here. Christians do not deny the reality of sickness. That's Christian science that does that. We don't somehow, when we're sick, say we're not sick. That's not it. Okay? We deny the finality, not the reality, but the finality of sickness. We realize that Jesus has overcome sickness, but sickness is real. Pain is real. You know, we don't deny its reality. We just deny that it's supposed to continue to exist in your, in your body. That what Jesus has done is enough for you to overcome the reality of sickness by a greater reality. He bore your pain, carried your sorrows. By his stripes, you're healed. Everybody get this? We're not saying that you have to deny that you're sick or deny that you're in pain. Quite the contrary is true. If you have that as a reality in your experience, then you need to come to Jesus and receive. Receive this overcoming reality of what he's done for you. Verse 5 and 7, And when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. So here uh, we see again is that Jesus responds favorably to this request. He doesn't have to pray about it. The disciples never see Jesus stopping to determine whether it's God's will. He already knows. And this is, we need to already know too. Turn to somebody and say, you need to already know. If you're still debating whether it's God's will for you to receive healing, you will not be able to come to a place of faith. You have to settle on this, that it is God's will, that the work has been done for you, that Christ has revealed to his disciples throughout by healing everyone in the multitude that it is God's will for people to receive healing. He never turned anyone away, never indicated that it, that they were too sinful in any kind of way, or God had some sort of purpose going, and uh, he wanted that person to remain sick. Uh, the reason that many, there's been many, many failures in receiving healing over, the, over the, the, the past several hundred years is because people were double-minded on this subject. They couldn't come to a place of faith. But you and I are going to be different. The future is different. We are going to settle that Jesus taught his disciples that it was God's will. Shake your head up and down. Even if you don't agree with me yet, uh, you will by the time I'm done. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
we see that there's some sanctified common sense. I like that idea. Sanctified common sense here about pain. The centurion doesn't believe that the pain is doing his servant any good. I suspect that uh, the servant himself didn't believe that the pain was doing him some good. We have some odd thinking, you know, and because of medieval, th- medieval teaching in the church, we have some odd thinking that somehow pain is doing us some sort of good, that it's making us a better person in some sort of way. But, uh, but we also have uh, really a behavior that shows us that we don't really believe that to be true. In fact, you run into Christians that believe that somehow the pain is doing them some good, and, uh, but they're taking aspirin, they're taking Tylenol, so their behavior tells you that they don't really believe it is or they wouldn't be doing that. If they really thought that this pain was from God, then they wouldn't do that because they'd be sinning. <laughs> you know, we see people who tell you that God's using the sickness in their life, but they're going to the doctor. You know, what we see is this contradictory behavior because people intuitively know that sickness is not a good thing, even though theologically they may have some confusion over it. See, so what we see is Jesus responds favorably. He doesn't believe this, this pain is doing this servant any good. The servant himself doesn't believe it. And obviously the centurion doesn't believe it as well. Again, we see, just making this point, no hesitation, no prayer, no consideration of the will of the Father. He already knows. Very important. Christ sees faith in this request. And he responds favorably to this man. He says, he says I will go and heal him. Now, that would be the normal way to do healing ministry is that we would go somewhere and lay hands on someone and pray for them, maybe even bring the good news to that circumstance before we do it, and then minister to them. That's the normal way, ordinary way that healing has happened. But verse 8, we see the centurion reacts in a different way. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my slave, do this, and he does it. Here the centurion says to Jesus, even though Jesus intends to come do an ordinary healing in this circumstance, I like the idea of ordinary healings. How about you? you know, if you get some ordinary stuff happening, you'll get some extraordinary stuff happening. Okay? But anyway, he's going to do an ordinary healing by coming physically to where the man is. But the centurion says, Lord, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is say the word at a distance, and my servant will be healed. And then the centurion explains how he knows this to be true. Now, this is really intriguing. He says, I'm a man under authority. He doesn't say I'm a man in authority. He says, I'm a man under authority. And I say to my servants, go do this and go do that, and they go and do it. Now, I'm a retired Army officer, and uh, I, uh, it was pretty clear through my military career that if I didn't do what my boss told me to do, that I lost my capacity to command the soldiers under me. That uh, in, uh, in wartime, they would execute me. <laughs> I, you definitely lose your authority when you're not alive. Okay? <laughs> and uh, I could you know, be court-martialed and be executed in a circumstance like that. Or I could go to jail in peacetime, uh, depending on what I'd done. Or they just would put me out of the service. In any case, I would lose my authority if I didn't do what my boss said. And my authority to command under me was based on the fact that I was submitting above. Here the centurion sees that Jesus is submitting to the Father. 
He sees the invisible relationship between Christ and his Father. And he understands that Jesus has authority to do these things because he's submitting to the Father. He sees that Christ is revealing the Father's will, doing the Father's will perfectly. And see, the centurion is now able to have faith at a level that most people in our culture today don't have because he sees this relationship that Christ is perfectly submitting to the Father's will. So he says, you can do this at a distance, Jesus. Then verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I've not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. They hear Jesus is telling us that this great faith is a relationship between the fact that this man is seeing the Father's will being revealed in Christ. See, I have to say to you that when I began to realize that the will of the Father was perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ, then my faith increased dramatically as well. Because I no longer was fuzzy about what God wished to do. I knew that that person standing in front of me, no matter where they had been, what they were doing, that if they had come to Jesus in the multitudes, he would have healed him, and that's what he wanted to do now. Jesus is the same yesterday, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, healing in the multitudes. Today, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and yes, forever. Turn to somebody and say, he has not changed. What has changed is our adherence and understanding See, many of us don't understand Jesus in the way that the 12 did. And if we understood Jesus and saw him in the same way that the 12 did, then we would have faith like theirs. And we would see things like theirs happening. But that's changing in the church. The church is coming back. There's a, for those of you who have been around and do some reading and see what's happening in the body of Christ, largely the, the phrase apostolic has become really popular the last 10 years. People are talking about apostles and apostolic and all these kinds of things. Can I just give you a basic definition of the apostolic? Let me tell you what apostolic is. It's what Jesus taught the twelve. What they saw. That's apostolic. And, that, and nothing else is apostolic. If something is being taught that doesn't match up with what Jesus taught the twelve, it is not apostolic. Shake your head up and down. Because this, let me give you a discernment principle, discernment principle. You must know what Jesus taught and what he didn't teach. That is the principle of discernment. If you're trying to feel your way with, to figure out what is right and wrong, I promise you, you'll get lost. You have to know what Jesus taught his disciples. You have to know what he didn't teach. So that when someone comes along and they present something to you, you have to be able to say, I don't think Jesus taught that. Or I think, yes, that's what, that's what he taught. You have to be familiar enough with what Jesus taught his disciples, what he revealed to his disciples, or you and I will all be in trouble. Shake your head up and down. Got to know. It's very, very important stuff. Or, because what, is the, what did Jesus tell us about the end of the age? The disciples came to him and said, tell us what the sign of your coming and the end of the age will be. Matthew chapter 24. First thing he says, first thing he says, take heed that no man deceives you. Three times in that passage he talks about religious deception. It is the primary characteristic of the end of the age is religious deception. You've got to be able to sort out what is true and what is not true for yourself. They were more noble in Berea 
because they heard the things that Paul was preaching and went back to the scriptures to see if they were true. They were more noble. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you're a more noble rascal. <laughs> Verse 10 again. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. In fact, um, that's what Jesus said here is absolutely true. He only said great faith to two people. Both of them were Gentiles. Uh, this centurion, Roman centurion, and then the Syrophoenician woman. He also said that she had great faith as well. By the way, her great faith was revealed in the fact that she would not give up. Even when even Jesus himself seemed to try to discourage her a little bit. She would not give up. And she got what she was looking for because she had great faith as a result. What we see is that Jesus also had limited knowledge of the outcome in this circumstance. He intended to go physically to the location where the woman was. Back a few years ago, uh, before I, the Lord began to help me with this whole business of healing, I thought that you had to know everything in advance. I thought you had to have a word of knowledge to do a miracle. You know, here Jesus marvels. He's surprised at the reaction of the centurion. Obviously, he didn't know everything in advance. He's revealing to the disciples that many things happened to him. We see him surprised, marveled, disappointed at times. Obviously, Jesus didn't have in complete, total, supernatural knowledge of every event of the future. He was walking as a man in our midst. And they saw a real live man revealing the will of the Father. And so you don't have to know everything in advance that's going to happen too. You, can God surprise you with a couple miracles this year? Would that be all right? A couple miracles to you and a couple miracles through you? Yeah, why not? See, I, personally, God is surprises, surprises me with most things that he does. Occasionally I get it right. <laughs> Occasionally God, I, he does speak to me in dreams, and when he does that, I almost always get it right. <laughs> but when, he doesn't have, when I don't have supernatural knowledge like that, sometimes I can make some, make some mistakes. But all my mistakes when that happen that way are all recoverable because of grace. Verse 13. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. Now, if I go to, let me read the rest of that first. Uh, and the servant was healed that very hour. Uh, if I go to most churches uh, that have not really been exposed to really good teaching as far as healing ministry is concerned, ministry that focuses back on Christ, most churches have it backwards. If you ask most churches this question, please don't answer out loud. You don't want anybody to be embarrassed, okay? But... If you ask most churches this question, who is in control of healing? Most churches would answer very quickly, God is in control of healing. But in this circumstance, let's remind ourselves what's happened. Jesus was intending to go do an ordinary miracle. He was going to go lay hands on the man, which was his normal way of doing ministry. Here the centurion said, Lord, you don't have to do that. All you got to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then he explained why he knew that to be true. Jesus said, hey, guy, you have great faith. And then the miracle occurs at a distance. And Jesus says, those words, let it be done to you as you have believed. Who's in control of this miracle? The centurion. The centurion believed for a greater miracle than Jesus intended and got it. So who's in control of healing here? See, the work has already been done for you. 
See, God is not waiting on you, you know, waiting for a specific timing in that sense. He, he wants you to come like the people in the multitude. Say, they determined the timing, didn't they? they? When they came was when they received healing. The woman with the issue of blood. She could have said, well, I'll just wait till Jesus heals me. No, that's not what she did. She determined that she was going to touch him and receive her healing. She made a decision that she was going to receive. See, that story is in the Gospels three times. There's a reason why it's there, because it gives you a real clear picture of what it is, what the right kind of attitude requires to receive healing. Uh, I'm going to tell you something here. I almost always regret doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I feel like I'm supposed to. We have seen, on occasion, more than just occasion, I guess I've seen it rarely, it's pretty often, that people who hold back and are so polite, letting everybody else go first, receive healing, have a hard time receiving. And we have seen people who jump the line get healed so readily, so quickly. They're just not willing to wait. And it actually will overcome... The, uh, the societal thing about politeness. What does it mean? It means that something has to go off on you and say, this is mine. I am going to receive it. Jesus is not going to die in vain for me. He's paid the price for me. I'm going to receive what he's done for me. It's mine in Christ. I'm going to have it. You have to have this kind of militant attitude or you're not going to receive. Don't give up. Don't somehow settle for less. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you can get healed today. <laughs> Verse 14 to 15. When Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she arose and waited on him. Again, no hesitation. The disciples didn't see Jesus hesitate. They would not have known the idea that you need to pray to determine whether God wants to heal someone. I was in uh, England, and we were doing a healing session with a group of ministers there, uh, Anglican priests, and, and their families. And uh, we had probably uh, 200 Anglican priests in the room, and uh, with, with more family members as well. A woman, uh, as we were doing kind of a question and answer session, a woman in the back popped up, and she said, uh, if I understand correctly what you're saying, Roger, is that you believe it's always God's will to heal, that you don't need a revelation to determine that. The revelation is in Christ. He's revealed it to his disciples. I said, yes, that's what I believe. She says, well, let me give you a little scenario. She says, my husband just passed away. He had cancer. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, I, I'm guessing she was a woman in her mid-30s. And he was rector of such and such church over here. And uh, the intercessors in the church, when he developed cancer, uh, the the intercessors in the church prayed to determine uh, whether God wanted wish to heal him, and they came back and said God did not wish to heal him. Are you saying that they were wrong? <laughs> I took a deep breath, and I said, you know, I know this is a sensitive moment. <laughs> I didn't laugh. I mean, I wasn't laughing. But uh, I said, I know this is a sim uh, sim sensitive moment, but I said the implication here is that if I were to not tell you the truth and that it would affect your ability to receive from God as well. It would, probably, it would, it would say that, that God, in many cases, doesn't wish to heal people. And uh, I said, I do believe that they were wrong. I do believe that they made a mistake here. 
And I said, then we, you know, we just in this moment, we just choose to forgive that, you know, because people do make mistakes. And she said, well, thank you very much, and sat back down. Now, you don't know how people are going to react to this kind of thing when, you know, you're confronting maybe previous beliefs that they've had, a way they've interpreted death, a death of a loved one, and so on. Very sensitive stuff. Very, very sensitive stuff. In fact, you'll discover as you are doing healing ministry, you're going to run into this stuff quite often. And you just need to be sensitive to the people in that moment and not, you know, not hit them over the head with the truth, but just you know, but the truth needs to be told in the circumstance. Yes, we believe that God wished to heal in this circumstance. And in any case, uh, later, in the, later in the afternoon, uh, one of the other women who was sitting next to this lady came up to me and she said, uh, Brother Roger, you just need to know how much that meant to her. I said, really? Uh, in what way? She says, well, she had, she's my best friend and she was losing her faith. She said she could not live with a God. She could not believe in a God that would not heal her husband. So these things have implications. They do. The way that we present God really has huge implications. In fact, she had actually was back praying, praying and receiving forgiveness for her unbelief and, and, and also forgiving the intercessors of the church. But, you know, if people, people are taught one thing, they're going to project their own views on those things and think that God is maybe saying these things. We quite often, quite often have our own thoughts and, say, and, and think that it's maybe God is speaking to us. We have to be really careful with this. Verse 14 to 15, And Jesus came, had come to Peter's home. He saw his mother-in-law was lying sick and fe- with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and waited on him. Just a very common expression of Jesus. Wherever he went and wherever he encountered people who were sick, he healed them. Again, we remind ourselves no hesitation, no prayer on the part of Jesus. Jesus already knows what the will of God is. And this leads us to the fourth and last event that I'm going to be speaking about tonight, uh, this morning. Verse 16 and 17. And when the evening had, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. How many? healed all who were ill in order that was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now, Isaiah the prophet spoke this particular verse of Scripture in the passage called that is Isaiah chapter 53. It's a messianic prophecy determined, tells us what Jesus would accomplish at the cross, that his sacrifice for sins. And in this midst of talking about his sacrifice for sins at the cross, written hundreds of years before he was born, what we see is that it talks about the fact that his sacrifice would also purchase us healing as well. And so what we see here is, is that Matthew, one of the twelve, is telling us that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy when he was healing the sick and pointing to the fact of his cross really pointing to this passage that really describes what he was going to do at the cross. Now, we're all aware that Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. So what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus was doing healing ministry as a result of the cross. In other words, he was looking forward to the cross. God was allowing healing to occur because Christ was going to make the final sacrifice for us before it even happened. God was allowing it to happen ahead of time because Jesus was looking forward in faith to the cross. Now, in other words, what he was doing, what Jesus was doing, he was doing healing ministry in the same way that we do it today. We look back at the cross, he was looking forward at the cross. So, and I probably said that backwards. I probably need to say it this way. We do it in the same way that he did it. He didn't do healing ministry because he was the son of God. 
He did healing ministry because he was the son of man. And he died on the cross for our sins, fulfilling the prophecies of Messiah. He was Messiah, who was the anointed one. And he died for our sins and sicknesses. And that we can now come and receive all that we need on the basis of the cross of Christ. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you can receive healing today. Here in this particular thing, what we see again is that Jesus healed all who were ill. Now, not all in Israel, not even all in the region. He healed all who came to him in that circumstance. This is what we want you to do today. We're going to, uh, with your permission, Pastor, we're going to invite the team, uh, those who were trained yesterday, perhaps, that if you would like to practice and pray again for people today. We had a lot of healing happening. I was walking through the groups of people praying yesterday. Lots of manifestation occurring. Lots of heat happening when people were praying. Uh, I, um, I just have to say, you guys, are, you guys are on fire for Jesus. There's a radical nature in you that is going to take you a long way. I don't have any reason not to believe that this church, uh, very shortly... Uh, if you continue in the things, continue walking in Jesus, with Jesus in these areas, that you're going to have a huge reputation for being a healing church in the region. And that, and that people are just going to come because they need healing. They're going to come here because they know it's happening here. So, Pastor, why don't you come? Yeah. Those of you who like to join us. Oh, that's right. Excuse me. I'm supposed to take a break here, aren't I? Before we start meeting. Okay. All right. I forgot. I I kept blowing the offerings, so uh, so I'm chewing them in here. So yeah, that's a uh, hindrance to healing. Bad breath. We got the ushers come forward, guys. Rogers really blessed us. Um, I've got hundreds of hours of studying and healing. He uncomplicated stuff and made it so simple this weekend. If you guys weren't able to be here, I encourage you. We don't need to pray over the offering or anything. Just go ahead and uh, just pass it. Um, if you're writing a check, just, just write it in the memo. Uh, Roger Sapp, we're going to write him one check. Or maybe two checks, I think, we'll get you because we had one for the weekend, one for today. But um, let's go ahead and give towards that. And um, But if you weren't here, I encourage you, get some of the materials. I think we've got some of the stuff uploaded for podcasts. But he just had a way of just uh, of just simplifying things, and I thought it was just really good. And uh, I, I just like the lack of hype. You know, and we got to realize some of that stuff comes through personality. You know, evangelists are going to have more of a boisterous personality, so we don't need to put down uh, someone else's style, but I think we can just appreciate. Um, he just points you back to Jesus. You know, I didn't see a big spotlight on Roger. I just got hung- more hungry for the Lord. And so I, uh, I was telling someone this morning, I said, man, I'm more hungry than I started on Friday night. I mean, I just, and I, th- I thought it was just a neat insight of him just um, wanting to peek over the shoulder of Jesus and Peter and see how Jesus did ministry. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm anxious just to get back into the Gospels and just take that bird's eye view and just look at Jesus afresh and learn some things. So, hey, we'll all be sharing this together, right? We're all we're going in this together. So um, I guess yesterday's going to go and, and go off and do that. But, Roger, if you want to come and just kind of lead us in a time of prayer, but we don't have to, uh, I, we don't even need music. I don't think that they uh, had an organ back in Jesus' day to, uh, to play just as I am while they were praying. So, um no worship team. I don't, uh, Peter probably couldn't sing. No. So, uh, Roger, why don't you lead us? And then uh, if you guys were trained, even if you're not part of the prayer team, ordinary we've, uh, as we've been told, ordinary rascals can pray for the sick. So if you don't have any special title, you don't have everything, we're just going to invite you. If you got training this week, let's put it into practice. So um, 
Yes, yeah, right. Uh, you just go ahead, Roger. Yeah, what it. we want to do is just invite those who would like to pray for people just to come on forward. If you, you know, The only way you learn to do this is practice. You really, you know, you, if you don't practice, you don't have experiences that will encourage your own faith and so on. So keep practicing. Um, my wife would tell you that when I first started practicing and really got my mind wrapped around that God wanted to heal the sick, that if you sniffled around me, I would ask you if I could pray for you. And, uh, in fact, I, any, any sick-looking tree I would pray for. I mean, just... You know. <laughs> I just really wanted to practice. So can we, let's say we got quite a few folks, so let's uh, spread all the way across if we can. All the way across both, so we got room to minister to people. And let's, uh, looks like, let's make uh, groups of four again this morning. Uh, let's do groups of four. If you can find somebody to pray with, it doesn't have to be four exactly. It can be three or five, but, you know, here, just groups of now, what we want you to do, you may have not been with us this weekend, and, and uh, the Lord bless you, you know, uh, these folks really, uh, I mean, really saw a lot of healing happening last night. They really have it working. I have confidence that when they pray with you that things are going to happen. They know how to look to Jesus. In fact, I'm going to just encourage them, you know, to do the simple prayer. This healing belongs to you because of what Jesus has done. To interview the person, they're going to interview you, find out what's wrong with you. They're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to expect something good to transpire, that the Lord is going to help you with that circumstance that you're facing. And uh, now, I'd like for everyone out here, if you just would stand. Now, the model of ministry is Jesus Christ, but the model of people receiving healing would probably be, we'd have to say it's the multitudes. The multitudes came to Jesus expecting him to help them. Now, these folks have Christ in them. He's here. He's present. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there in the midst. So what I want you to do is I want you to come to Jesus in them and expect something to happen. You're not coming to them. You're coming to Christ. You're coming to him and expecting something to happen because you are coming to him. All right, just come out of the, come out of the chairs and just come and let one of these groups pray with you. And if they, if they get, if there's a little backup, there's a backlog or something, just sit and be patient. Let them pray with you. Those of you who received a partial healing this weekend, but you're not 100% yet, get prayer again this morning. Please, do that. Get it finished. Everybody got somebody to pray with? I'm not going to pray for anybody for a few minutes because I want these people to have a good opportunity to do this. So.